Hello there, welcome to the International Business Podcast. I'm your host, Leonardo Marlo, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. In this podcast, I share my experiences and interview international professionals to draw lessons from their real-life stories. Coming up on today's episode. So when people can't leave the house, they definitely can't be driving. <laughs> Uh, so you're, we're talking about uh, around the world, anywhere from one to three months of people basically staying at home, not going to work. The commercial vehicles like large trucks and, de and delivery vans are pretty much have been running because they still have to bring stuff around. They still have to deliver things. So those areas for us, um, for our company, GT, um, we've been able to find some strength in supplying these um, commercial vehicles much more than the uh, passenger car vehicles, which are challenging. Robert has more than 10 years of digital and international marketing experience based in the US, China and Japan. In this episode, we'll discuss how he uses various platforms and tools to help align and improve organizations' online and offline marketing and communication efforts. You can find more information about Robert, including his LinkedIn profile, in the show notes. Without further ado, let's dive into it. Hi, Robert. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me today. You can call me Bobby if you like. Oh, perfect. Bobby, Bobby, straight to the point. <laughs> And, you know, talking about going straight to the point, Bobby, why are you an international professional? What makes you an international businessman? Sure. I think that being an international professional means not only working physically with uh, other countries, but also Uh, mentally and uh, culturally engaging with them. So I've tried to do that by spending some time in Japan and China and also traveling to many countries for other business and work and uh, also having us try to study the language and uh, having a mixed coworkers and even the mixed family uh, and also spend some time with uh, groups like American Chamber of Commerce uh, as a member and things like that. So I think right now, especially with the rise of the nationalism in the world and with the COVID-19 situation, It's been um, a very tough time in, uh, um, as an international professional in some ways. And especially, you know, like between the US and China, there's also specific challenges. So I think that right now it's really important to have um, international professionals to bring people together through business and through um, personal relations um, that everybody can understand. Uh, you said nationalism and, you know, per se, nationalism is not a bad thing. But when it is maybe let's say, too strong, yes, it becomes a problem. And international business could be one of the antidotes, I guess, to nationalism because, you know, we, we can get together so many, you know, cultures, businesses, you name it. And when we're so connected, I think we tend to become less nationalistic. Wouldn't you agree so? Yes, I definitely agree. And I think a lot of the cases where that people are... Um, tend towards this type of nationalism is they don't completely understand the uh, other cultures. And if they do meet people um, and visit those places, then actually they, a lot of times they change their mind. They realize, okay, maybe things aren't so simple like I thought. So I do agree with you totally about that. And apart from nationalism, the, the other problem that we are all experiencing now is coronavirus. I don't want to talk about coronavirus for the next 20, 30 minutes with you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is... I think it is important to say, I mean, to talk about it because business is so much influenced by it. And 
what is happening? So first of all, how do you say automotive, auto tire industry? How do you name your industry, Bobby? Um, so the general industry would be automotive um, because okay. it's all, that includes uh, car manufacturing and also components and also um, tires, which we're in. So we're a little bit of a specific area of that, but it also covers the, the whole industry too. Okay. So I will say auto tire industry is kind of a branch of automotive in general. Would that be correct? Yeah, sure. And they follow each other pretty closely. So, yeah. Okay. So what, I'm, what I would like to know about, Bobby, is what is happening in your industry because of the virus? What's going on? Right. So as you can imagine, the, the virus has not been great for the, <laughs> the automotive industry, to say the least. Uh, I think there's two main areas to consider that, that very negatively affect um, the automotive and tire industry because of the virus. Um, the first is the actual lockdowns and the at-home situation. So when people can't leave the house, they definitely can't be driving. Uh, so you're, we're talking about uh, around the world, anywhere from one to three months of people basically staying at home, not going to work, um, not going, doing events and things, and they're really not putting on miles to their car, um, which of course would affect the purchases. Um, the second is the generally the bad economy is people don't want to spend the money on the big things which includes the cars and even changing tires, sometimes they'll put it off. So you see in the passenger car market, especially, there's been a really steep drop off in the sales. Um, and now in China, actually the last month and uh, in April, May, then it starts to improve a bit, a little bit, um, after really bad, very, very bad February and March. Uh, but then you have other where internationally, um, where it's dropped off very badly these months too. So um, it's a continually challenging time, and it, it seems like it will get some better, um, but it's going to be a little bit. Uh, on the positive side, though, the commercial vehicles, like large trucks and, de and delivery vans, are pretty much have been running because they still have to bring stuff around. They still have to deliver things. So those areas for us, um, for our company, GT, um, we've been able to find some strength in supplying these um, commercial vehicles much more than the um, passenger car vehicles, which are challenging. Yes, disruption always, I mean, disruptions always bring opportunities, but you know, it's not always easy to find these opportunities. And you said that, you know, because people had to work from home for weeks on end. I don't know about you, but I didn't go out for like six weeks in a row, like between February and March, something like that. And I was working from home, like probably another, I don't know, tens of millions of people around the world. And since you're an expert of digital marketing, how have companies used digital marketing activities while being stuck at home? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, this is one of the few positives I think we can take from this coronavirus situation is that the digital understanding of the public and of companies has really gone up a lot, um, including even traditional companies are now using it a lot more. Um, everybody knows how to use Zoom now, um, use the online calling communications. Um, so that's really good for internal and external communications. Um, meanwhile, also a lot of companies have been um, ramping up their digital activities because they can't do <laughs> in the market activities directly during that time. So um, like for us, example, we launched a new website, our new global website during that time. Uh, we've optimized social media more, working on promoting video more, 
um, some things like that. Uh, also, a lot of companies have been growing in the areas of e-commerce. Um, online sales are doing really well. So you see um, these, these online tech companies actually have been, um, their profits and their revenues have gone up during this time, which is, which is good for them, um, while a lot of industries have struggled. Yeah, so I think that this has challenged um, companies to think of new ways to engage with their customers in a more closer and a more personal way. I take that before the virus, you were traveling a lot. You were traveling extensively around the world. And how many countries have you visited for business meetings, Bobby? Um, I think about 18 countries totally, and uh, including in Asia, Middle East, uh, Africa, um, South America, and different places. So uh, not only just for business meetings, but for events and uh, also just to visit our distributors to understand the market better because even you can study and you can hear about the country, but it's not the same as actually going there and engaging with the people and the situations there to really understand. And with how many countries do you have business? Um, for us, our company, we, we distribute to more than 130 countries. So um, of course, the different degrees, some a lot more than others, but um, I've worked in most of uh, pretty much all the regions at some point and um, a lot of a large amount of those countries too. Let me ask you this, Bobby. Because you deal with such a wide range of cultures, what are your main challenges when doing this? And do you have a system in place to formulate a cross-cultural strategy? For sure, there is some difference in the cultures and the challenge can be some um, understanding, misunderstandings and communication differences. Um, some of just the way that, that people act in different places is is different and you need to learn and adapt to it. Um, of course, usually it ends up being somewhere in the middle that, that people adapt to from both sides. So even in our office, most of my coworkers are Chinese. So um, I also have to um, make sure that we understand and communicate clearly on the topics. But actually in general, I found that the um, positives have far outweighed the challenges. I don't think it's too bad because no matter where you go, people are mostly the same deep down. They're, they're generally friendly and um, they don't care as much about the political differences and the governments as, as um, some people would, would think, in my opinion. Uh, maybe, maybe because I've been working with more business people, that's the case. <laughs> but still, I think it's the truth. So I think it's really one of the best things about doing international business is meeting um, people from all over the world and becoming friends with so many places you could never imagine that um, you would meet people from. For instance, you said, you know, talking about political issues, I do a lot of business with the UK. And while the, you know, the Brexit conversation was going on, actually, I had some fun while I was, you know, able to travel around the world and go to exhibitions. And every time I met a potential customer or a customer from the UK, I would always ask, you know, what they thought about Brexit. But I always stood that conversation, you know, just to know how business would affect them. But, you know, at the end of the day, whether they were pro or, you know, against Brexit, that, you know, it didn't matter. So we were, even if we were talking about something political, strictly political, is at the end of the day, because we are business people, even if we were thinking the opposite, it was still interesting to have a conversation. I agree with you, you know, no matter what, when we are doing business, whether we are agree or not on politics, it doesn't really matter. I mean, most of the times it doesn't matter. We can still have a conversation. It's not that you think 
about this and I think about the opposite, then we cannot do business or we're going to hate each other, which sometimes it seems from, you know, from the media, it seems that, you know, you are for A party, I'm from B party, so we cannot (laughs) do business or we're going to hate each other. No, actually, I do a lot of business with people that apparently we, we shouldn't like each other, right? Right. And moving on to social media, when people say social media, we will think about Facebook, Instagram, or I don't know, WhatsApp. But in China, there are many different online and social media channels compared to the rest of the world. And what are the challenges? How can a global brand handle this? Because they may have to deal, if they want to do business in China, they have to deal with channels that they don't, don't know anything about, that they don't have them in their home country. Right. That's a good point. Actually, yeah, there really are two different worlds of the social media, basically the China one and the Western or maybe other one. kind of. Um, so in the China one, there is uh, there are big platforms like WeChat and Weibo. Um, these are extremely popular. And then there's hundreds of hundreds of other social media and e-commerce um, apps that you won't find too much out of China, um, with some exceptions. Then, of course, outside of China, you have the ones like you mentioned, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, um, even the platform now TikTok, which has um, become huge in um, U.S. and Europe lately, is um, actually is a Chinese company. Um, but the Chinese version is called Douyin, and that is completely separate from TikTok and has different rules. So they're basically two different platforms, even within their own company. Do you have TikTok? You know, I, I know I know about it, but I don't have it. I've never even tried it. Do you? Um, I've I've played around with it, but um, we don't really use it for much for business side. But I just just mainly to see what the hype of it is. But I didn't use it that much, to be honest. <laughs> so, what should a global brand do in order to to handle the China business if they have you know they have to use the the social media channels present here? Correct. Yeah. So really for a multinational or global companies, you have to have a strategy for both, um, which includes the differences between them and how they they are also working together. Like you need to have a consistent brand message across both, but you also have to adapt. You have to adapt to the language difference. You have to adapt to the cultural difference in some case. Um, so I definitely think if your company has a presence in China, you really need to hire some good local social media people uh, or engage with some agencies that specialize in doing this. Otherwise, you'll, you'll definitely fall behind in the market because it's so important in, uh, in today's world. Due to your you know, over 10 years of experience in marketing and digital, what are the trends that you see happening in digital and social media? Yeah, I think a few key areas um, are definitely growing. Um, one that's consistently growing is the, the trend towards mobile, um, to phone, mobile phones, tablets. Um, instead of targeting to desktops and laptops, now everything a company does has to keep a mobile and a tablet in mind. So everything has to be friendly for those, um, whether it's a website, social media. Um, it's really important to focus in um, for the mobile um, users. Um, another area is... Uh, is video marketing, um, which especially short videos, uh, now in the social media is becoming more and more popular and those really get uh, more attraction than, than just text or images I find. Um, and now actually a lot of these 
these um, influencers or KOLs, as they call in China, um, key opinion leaders, um, they are using live video actually to promote companies and products. So um, this is an area that's very interesting to watch that there's more of a, a live video type of um, phenomenon going on. So when you say video marketing, do you, do you mean live videos or kind of recorded videos sent over through, I don't know, a particular channel? Um, it can be both. I mean, usually we would do uh, recorded videos for sure. Um, that can get you to make it the most polished and the way you want to present to the, um, to the users and, and you can edit them and everything. Um, but, but as I mentioned, the live video is kind of a new phenomenon that's especially being used with um, in influencers to kind of make a, build a more personal connection um, between, between maybe um, some product and the end users that, that is becoming a bit more popular. And I think another area of the, um, of trend for digital is a mobile payments, which you know for sure, um, being based in China, you don't really use cash or credit cards anymore in China, um, which is amazing to a lot of people in US or Europe um, to hear about this. And I think this is an area that the, the, that the Americas and the Europe are actually um, pretty far behind on. And I would expect during this decade, will be a, a real shift in those places too. So maybe you see by 2030, by 2030, you could see that most people globally are, are not using cash anymore and they're using mobile payments. Yeah, the first month that I was in Shanghai, I didn't have a bank account, I didn't have it yet. And I had to pay everything in cash. And when I was at the supermarket, you know, buying groceries, Everybody was looking at me like if I was an alien or I don't know what, because you know, you could see this, I don't know, 85 plus people that would pay with the with the phone and it will take them like five seconds. And I had, you know, to understand the number, take the cash and then get the get the change. And you know, it was like a minute, and they were just looking at me like if I was coming from another center. <laughs> yeah, it's like in, in the US when people write checks or something like. I don't know if it's the same in Europe, but um, sometimes you'll have the person in line in front of you, like an old old person, and they get out the checkbook and try to write a check. I guess it's kind of like that, maybe. I wrote some checks in my life, and 50% of the time I got them wrong because there's like a part where you cannot write anything, and that you need to, I don't know, like to cross another area, and I got it wrong. So sometimes <laughs> to me, you know, to write the same check, I had to do it like twice. <laughs> yeah. It's not ideal. Um, Bobby, before we go, I've got one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. I would like to know about one memorable moment from your international career, and you can pick one. You can choose a successful, a funny, or a catastrophic episode. Your pick. Okay, I'll, I'll talk about a funny one since, um, since some of this has been a bit more serious. Uh, so, Great. So. I like that. Go, go. I want to know. I want to get this one. I want the, I want the funny episode. Okay, cool. So one time I was in um, Colombia on the business trip, um, the country in the South America. Uh, we're doing a brand launch and uh, driving around the country to some different cities. And uh, one, day, one day we stay in this mountain area. And on the top, there's a, the mountain area, there's a, a swimming pool. So we went there for a couple hours. Um, it wasn't that long, but I guess because of the location and the, the height, it, I got like super sunburned on my face, shoulder, back, everywhere. Um, and not just like red, but really sunburned, like a blistering and everything. Uh, so <laughs> it was not wow. a great situation on the business trip. And meanwhile, you know, in South America, Latin America, people like to 
they um, when they greet you they hug you and they like kind of pat your back <laughs> so every time people would like pat, would just like hug you and pat, it feels like you're getting stabbed but you can't say anything because it's not it's not really like <laughs> you cannot say like oh like that. the people think you're really weird um so yeah so basically my face was all red and then um towards the end of it, it even started peeling and then to make it worse the i flew out from the last city which is medellin um, which I think you you maybe know is kind of famous for being um, uh, um, infamous like drug capital in the past. Not anymore, but still, it's pretty famous. For, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Pablo Escobar. These guys. Um, so, yeah, which Netflix narcos. I think, probably, <laughs> exactly. You know, everybody watched that. Exactly. So so I flew out of there at like uh, 5 a.m. Like super early. Was really tired. I transferred to Bogota. Um, and then flew to New York because um, I wanted to stay there. So I actually flew into the Newark airport. So I was going through the customs and I'm all like super tired. My face is peeling. I look terrible. And then they ask me where I'm coming from, the customs. And I'm just like, Colombia. And they're just like, yeah, just come with me. So they took me to the, <laughs> they took me to the room, uh, like a separate room, and like questioned me for like 20 minutes about what I'm doing and what's going on, where I went to school, everything. Yeah, so it was uh, luckily I got out of there and it was a... Uh, a very interesting experience. <laughs> there was a long business trip. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and no hugs for maybe another five weeks, I guess. Right, exactly, yeah. Okay, look, Bobby, before we go, who should connect with you? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm happy to connect with anybody who, um, especially who has common interests. Um, if anybody's interested in Asia, digital marketing, brand marketing, or really anything, I'm, I'm pretty happy to, um, to connect. Bobby, that was a pleasure. I want to thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Okay, thanks, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories, guests coming on the show every Monday. Do not forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll speak with you again on the next episode.